Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of the Upping Your Game podcast powered by TouchPlan. I'm your host, George Hunt. Anyone who's talked to me long enough knows that I have a huge passion for project production management. I like PPM so much because it really aligns with the realities and the risks that we run into on our projects every day. Uh, Add that to the fact that I can confidently point to the operation science that backs up why PPM works so well, and it's an all-around win for me. So in today's episode, I'm joined by Gary Fisher of the Project Production Institute. Gary has an extensive background in implementing project production management, uh, which gives him a very interesting perspective around all of the benefits behind it. If you're brand new to PPM, Gary gives us a basic primer on what it is, but then we talk a lot about the differences between what we typically do now with traditional project management and what PPM does differently. I think you'll find a lot of food for thought here, so have a listen and let us know what you think. Enjoy. All right, thanks everyone for tuning back in. Today I'm excited for my guest that's joining me today I'm with Gary Fisher from the Project Production Institute. Gary, how's it going? It's going very well. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to for today. We're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects, uh, project production management. Um, but before we get into that, uh, why don't you, if you could, give the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you, kind of what you're doing now, and a little bit of your your path to, to get where you're at today. All right. So I'm currently the executive director of the Project Production Institute. Um, that's a, organiz- a nonprofit organization dedicated to the spread of uh, or promulgation of the use of project production management across all the all industries. Any any capital projects in our sites, we want to help support, ad, understand, adopt, and use uh, those methods. And I took a long route to get here. Um, <clears throat> I recently retired from Chevron after about 41 years of working capital projects. I worked in all kinds of projects all over the world. In, in our world, we have downstream, which is refining uh, things like the gasoline that you buy. We have upstream, which is producing oil and gas that gets fed to refineries. And we had a chemical uh, company that made things like polyethylene. I got to work on projects in all those segments, all different levels, all the way up through. <clears throat> worked me up way up to um, kind of regional responsibility for, for projects uh, across a part of the globe. And then about the last quarter of my career, um, Chevron was in a high growth mode and we found ourselves needing to bring, you know, hire a lot of people, train a lot of people into how we wanted project management done. And we didn't really, we realized we didn't really have the means to do that. We had a very well-established stage gate process to develop and execute our projects, but the actual methods we used under that were very um, ad hoc. And so if you wanted to know, well, how do we do construction management in Chevron? You say, well, go talk to Joe and Fred and they'll show you what they do. They'll give you some go-bys, give us some examples. And that's that's kind of how we do it. So I got brought into the center of, of the company to formulate a group that would A, design our project, the project management system that Chevron would be using to develop and execute. And then uh, we had a very large group of consult, internal consultants to go around and help train and and help people use that system to its best effect. So. Um, I um, put on my thinking cap and we grabbed the best of the best, the best of everything we could find. We studied our projects that we thought were successful, pulled those practices together. We, um, If we thought we had a gap in our practices, we went and looked at our comp- competition on who we thought had a good practice uh, and pulled that into uh, to our system. And at the end of the day, we had a soup to nuts, totally defined system from idea or inception all the way through handover of facilities to the operating organization to uh, to make money. Um, and then I had a really unique, that took about four years to get all that done. It was yeah. pretty big. We had to create our own little internal um, uh, academy on and train thousands of people on how to do this. So then I get a, kind of a unique opportunity. Chevron, usually after about four or five years, you're kind of worn out in your job and they move you on to something else. Um, um, so in a lot of ways, a lot of the impact of your decisions kind of never catch up with you if you're in a long, long cycle business like like the energy sector is. Yeah. And so they said, well, hey, do you want to stick around and see if this thing works? I said, yeah, you know, that, what a great opportunity. Let's see if this thing works. So after a little bit of runtime and working with a number of projects, we said, OK, let's let's do some benchmarking. We can we can prove that, you know, we're, we're doing we're doing pretty good. So we we benchmarked ourselves through a through our 
basically our competitors, um, and just to see how well we were performing. And and I'll tell you that that was getting those results that day was was just a a shock <laughs> because yeah. we found we were doing a little better than the industry, doing a little better than our competitors, but overall our our performance was dismal. We had a, a small number of projects that were actually completing within the schedule promise within the cost and we put some boundaries around that within the cost promise and mm -hmm. the production payment pro promise a very small percentage and we said oh that's not good <laughs> and i thought you know it was just the, the knuckleheads weren't using the system you know we designed it to do a certain thing and they if they would just follow the system we'd be okay yeah well so we kind of doubled down on enforcement and we added some assurance protocols and so we're going to check and make sure you're using the system put those into place gave a little more runtime and you know it didn't really change and man that that really caused me to pause and and begin this search um to find the answers and um of course i had a long line of consultants you know willing to give me the answer they had the silver bullet we'd try them out yeah um, I started looking outside our industry. I said, now that somebody's got to be able to do this, and it's clearly not us, and that's not our competitors, so somebody has to be able to do it. So we started searching the world and looking at what uh, other companies were doing with product development. That was kind of the kind of a common thread across most industries that whether you're in automobiles or uh, electronics or even Apple. Yep. So I had great conversations with Ford and Apple and IBM and and other companies about how they did product development. Uh, man, the light bulbs were starting. A lot of crazy terminology I didn't understand. A lot of things. I, you, you, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it took me. It, it was. It was a slow process. I'm. A, I guess I'm a slow learner. And then we we said, well, let's just take some things for a test drive. Let's just experiment. So we we experimented with like five different things on different projects, and and um, only one of those experiments started giving us any positive results and that was on a project in china that we were having a very difficult time completing and we we implemented something called project production control on that yeah. project it was the first time we'd ever i didn't, I didn't have a clue what it was okay so yeah okay well whatever let's just try it so we tried it it had a really positive impact on the project the project team said hey this is good stuff and about that time we were having a very difficult time completing a very large LNG project in the Northwest Shelf in Australia called Gorgon. There we had uh, rigorously implemented advanced work packaging and work-based planning. And we mm -hmm. thought that was gonna be the key. I mean, craft, they're pretty expensive. So getting yeah. really good craft productivity we thought was really important. Well, we finally we finally just gave up on AWP and, and, and uh, it was dying under its own weight. We finally just gave up and said, man, we, we're better off not doing this than, than doing it because it was actually slowing the work down. Sometimes yeah. we're spending more time, more hours creating the work package than it took to actually do the work itself. When you sure. find yourself in that position, it's time to rethink something. <laughs> right, uh, right. So we uh, said, well, you know, that had a pretty positive impact on that, that China project. Let's bring it over and try it on this Gordon project. So there are three trains that we were completing and Train one, we were just in this slog of trying to complete it and get it online. And so we brought production control in and got it up and running. So it had a little tiny impact on train one, but was mostly then set up for train two. Well, train one was like world-class bad performance and <laughs> how yep. long it took. Train two is industry average. And then train three, we set some records on how quickly it could be done. Now you're going to have, you'd think you'd have a learning curve from trains one to three, although the data says you don't, which kind of surprised us. So Okay. Um, we uh, attribute a huge part of that performance improvement on production control. So at that point, I got to say, oh, man, I got to learn what this stuff is. So I began, my, let's just say, a deep education yeah. on the history of our project management practices, discovered operations science, and, and then I actually deferred my retirement. I was going to retire at that time and deferred my retirement a couple of years and said, man, I, I I want to help deploy this across Chevron, across the whole enterprise, and that's what I did. Yeah, led a special little little team, and that's all we focused on for the next two years was just learning, learn by doing, deploying, trying, shaping, pushing, cajoling, yelling, whatever it yeah. took people to try these techniques, and and then finally it became time to retire, 
Yeah. So I hung it up, but I just couldn't let it go. Uh, this is so revolutionary. It's so insightful. It answered so many questions that I just, I just have a lot of passion for it. So if I can help anybody else avoid all the mistakes that I made and the pain that I made and waste the, we wasted billions of dollars. It didn't need to be wasted. And that just makes me sick. But, you know, all I can do is change the path forward. So that's how I got to where I am today. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's great. Very insightful. I love that. Um, like you said, you gave a little background there of how the 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 shining moment, if you will. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's how yeah, that's that's how I think a lot. I mean, I think I, I exposed to it too originally when I saw PPM and then Operation Science and was like, oh wow, okay, all right, we got something here. Um, but yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. So you know, it's a good background of you and how you got here and and some of the things going on. So before we jump into a little bit more on project production management. Um, one thing I always like to ask people, so whether it's, you know, along this lines of the stories you were just telling there, but in general within your career, um, what is one of the most memorable learning moments that you've had? Well, there are two of them. The first okay. one is along the way I came to believe that we could do our projects, execute our projects without hurting anybody. And before then, I thought, you know, it's dangerous business. People are just going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. That, And I, I got to be part of really a transformation about how Chevron developed and executed projects with that mindset, with that belief as an underlying belief. And son of a gun, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still sit back and look in, in kind of amazement that all that dangerous work can be done without seriously injuring anybody or you know, killing anybody for sure. Um, so that was one. And then the other is what I, the story I just told you. Yeah. I mean, to discover the science, to discover that there was science and that there is science that governs how projects perform was just, I mean, that everything kind of finally fell into place. And I was, I was really, I don't know, shocked, irritated, disappointed. Yeah. To learn to learn that the foundation that I grew up on, the iron triangle, you know, cost yep. schedule, all hopelessly, you want, you got to throw all those trade-offs. To find out that wasn't true, to find out that um, we we have people, we have planning specialists because we because it's born on a belief that craft really can't plan their work, so yep. we have to have planners. And I always, I thought scheduling was totally broken, right? We create these massive, you know, primavera schedules, level four, level five schedules that nobody uses, nobody understands except the planners. Yeah. And it becomes a project history book rather than a rather than a planning tool, scheduling tool. And I always thought, what a waste of time. When I was a project manager, I didn't use it. Yeah. I had a one-page Excel spreadsheet that that's all I used. And I yeah. tracked, I was tracking the key things, what we needed to start, when we needed to start, where we were. That's what I used to manage the project. And it was, it was a very large project and yeah. complex project. Um, so learn that there were science and that science could be harnessed to, to explain and understand how projects perform was just like, man, it was just like, uh, it, was, it was just amazing. <laughs> it was like, I was mad that I didn't find it a long time ago, but yeah. I was really amazed to find the science and then see how it could be harnessed and drive performance. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it is. Um... You know, we, we were talking before, you know, that for me as well, I think that was the kind of shining moment is when you realize that there's a science behind it and that you can take it and use it and have actual numbers and backup behind. You know, it's not just a theory anymore. It's not just a, hey, I think this is going to happen. There's some solid concrete science behind it that you can actually apply. Um, it, it's huge, huge, right? And it's very uh, counterintuitive for a project guy. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, no, I think it. You you bring up a good point there too. I think is the, it is kind of counterintuitive to what we are traditionally taught as project management in general. You know, whether it's construction or whatever, right? It is the whole idea of project management and you know the methods and the way that we're supposed to go through things. And like you said, the the iron triangle there. Um, it is very counterintuitive to what we um, usually are taught. And so when you see when you see the light and you finally 
go for it and realize that there's a different, better way. It's like, wow, okay. You know, throw your hands up. My life is a lie. What's going on? You know? Yeah, pretty liberating. Yes, 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 it is. Um, well, it's great. It's a great segue to get into our actual topic, I think, uh, for today, which is going to be project production management. Um, I think some of the listeners out there, they're going to have an idea of project production management, um, at least in some form. You know, there's those who I think have a general understanding of production management and, you know, some of the things that already are kind of happening a little bit within, you know, more of the con commercial construction industry. You know, we have the last planner system of production control. There's a big movement now of a lot of people looking more at tech planning, which is much more of a production management type of approach. Um, but if we can kind of do a little bit of a primer here uh, for those listening who might have no idea what production management is, can you just give a quick primer of, you know, what exactly is project production management? All right, I'll try to keep it as simple and straightforward and quick as I can, but at its, its highest point, operation science is science, Yep. that governs how production systems perform, whether you've got an F-150 factory or you've got a capital project. It doesn't matter. Those are production systems or amalgamation of different production systems that transform raw products into finished products. Capital right. projects are no different. So that's the science. Project production method uh, management are simply the methods used to employ that science. So. We, we, we call it really simply, we got four verbs, five levers, and three curves. That's production management. So the four yeah. verbs are we design things, we make things, you know, like having things fabricated or whatever, transport things, and we build things, right? That's four, yeah. that's four things we do. And the five levers, now this is where the real you know, huge part of the power is, that you have as a project person to control the work, to change the nature of the work and how that project will perform is first something called the product design. And the product design is simply what it is you're going to make. Okay, yep. How you design that, and you can, you can design it to be difficult to make, you can design it to be easy to make. There's a whole range of choices on how well you, how you design that and what mindset you have around the design. And there are a whole bunch of methods underneath that to help yep. you do a better job of, of making something that's very buildable, okay? And then there's process design. And I said, what the heck is process design? You know, to a to a guy from the oil industry, that was what's going on inside the pipes and the pumps and everything else. And no, no, process design is simply the workflows. That's how yeah. the work is done. Okay. And then the next one is capacity. Capacity are the, the you know the people, the resources, the equipment, the road capacity, etc. It takes to complete a project. Inventory. That's all the stuff that gets piled up within the project. It could be in the design phase, it could be in the make phase, it could be stored somewhere, it could be at the construction site, waiting, you know, things waiting to be done, or yep. uh, piles of things waiting to be used. All that stuff is inventory in its, in its total. And then finally, the last, which is one of the more interesting ones that hopefully we can talk about a little bit more a little bit later, is variability. And that's variability is stuff that did, didn't, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> We right. didn't think it was going to happen that way, and it happened that way. Or we have designed in variability. Um, yep. And one of the one of the, my favorite uh, um, pictures to illustrate that is that you could have a we're going to build a big real estate uh, commercial or residential development. Okay, we can make the houses all the same, everyone identical. Yeah, we have very little variability in the design. Right, we have one design replicated 300 times, or we could have six designs. Right. Yeah. So there's six different variables or we can have 10 designs. So there's 10 points of variability. So we can design in variability or variability of stuff that just happens. And then finally, the three curves. And this is always a fun conversation when we have classes around this. We test the test the audience on their understanding of these relationships. And that's work in process or inventory the amount of stuff you have sitting around. Yeah. It's relationship to cycle time utilization. That's how much something is actually used. So if you have a say you have a big crane on a on a project and how much of that uh, crane capacity is used, how many hours a day is that used versus cycle time, and then work in process versus throughput. Those three key relationships are important to understand and create a new mental model around <clears throat> so that you can understand how production systems will respond. Okay. Yep. Um. So. 
taking those three relationships and um, allows us to mathematically be able to model what's going to happen on a project. Man, that was just like amazing to see that. We can yeah. actually model what's going to happen. <clears throat> and that whole modeling effort is something we call production system optimization. So we model it. So here, imagine this. So at the top, we have a model. So we've used the model to design our project production system, and that's design everything around those five levers. Yep. And then we put something right on top of the work called production control. And that's real control of the work. Now, I didn't say project controls, which is very yep. rear view mirror looking and very lagging. We're talking actually daily in construction, daily control of the work. That's what gets done on a daily basis. If it didn't get done, why didn't it get done? Yep. And particularly control of the of the inventory. So when I design a production system, you can't do a project without any inventory. Now it's, you know, if I've conveyed that along the way, I've made a mistake. You've got to have the right amount of inventory to optimize the work. Well, controlling to that inventory is super important. So yep. if I say I want to have 10, based on my uh, production system design, then I need to control to 10, not 11, not nine, not 12, but 10. Yep. And so production control allows you that level of control on a project. And then you take the feedback from production control feeds back into your digital model of your production system. So those two things working together, production system up here, production control here with a, you know, a feedback loop that goes between the two allows you to in real time understand what your project is doing, how it's performing, where it's headed, and how to control it. And that's project production management in a nutshell. I love it. I think that was actually pretty succinct. That was good. All right. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I was like, all right, well, I'm asking you to do a primer on it. I'm like, there is so many things we could go into here, but I there like that. I think that was, that was actually a good, yeah, I was going to say that was a good way to sum that up there. I like so that. So one thing, one thing I like to, 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 um, bring it illustration, you know, and I got to visit the Ford's F-150 plant, got to understand how they did the product design for the F-150 and all that. It was just a huge learning experience. And I got, yeah. I got to thinking, well, gee, if I was going to do that without an understanding of operation science, what would have I done? Well, at first I would have gone out of business because <laughs> right. but we would have kind of designed it best we could. We would have built the plant. And then we would have started working on it and saying, gee, are we, how are we doing? And we would have had a massive amount of inventory and all those things. You know, I was amazed to see how deliberate Ford was in deciding what they wanted to do, like their basis of design for the, for the F-150. And then when they called to the basis of process, how they were going to make an F-150. Yeah. And then they built a factory to accomplish both of those things simultaneously and how deliberate all that was, and then how deliberate their production control is. I mean, it's a minute by minute control. Their right. time is one, one truck every minute. And if it's not happening, they know why it's not happening. And they're on fixing whatever's keeping that from happening. I was just simply amazed and, and, and it, was, it was really amazing to think, well, how different that is from how we approach traditional project management. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's it's one of those things too, where when you go and see it in action, and like you said, you kind of it, it amazes you with how how clear they are with what they're designing, with what their intent is, and then how well they're able to keep control of it. it it's things like that where you end up seeing from a different industry and saying like how how do we how can we not do this right? Is how how do we not do something at least close to it? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I mean, yes, there's the argument, right? They're in a factory setting and, and, and all that. Yes. But again, from a at least a, a theoretical point of view, uh, you know, how, how can we not do something along these lines? They have something that's working. Yeah. Um, you know, let, let's figure out how we can make it work for us. Um, yeah. So um, let's let's dig into PPM a little bit more than too. is so we have it from a high level, a good understanding of what it is. So I, I think let's hit on a little bit when it comes to the differences we kind of talked the iron triangle right it is the typical project you know uh project management approach versus kind of the five levers if you will right can we talk a little bit more on the a little bit of the differences between the two like what when you take a look at the two of them side by side what are some of the biggest differences you see that you have for outcomes when you use project production management versus 
we'll say the more traditional project management approach? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And maybe maybe I could start kind of backing up and saying, <clears throat> you know, current project practices push all the work down the line. It's, mm -hmm. it's a push system with a little understanding of the impact that that has on the overall project. In fact, all the work has to get done. So get as much going as possible, open up yep. as many work fronts as possible and liquidate hours. Yeah. <clears throat> I've come to learn that when, when I go to a project site and I hear we're liquidating hours, I know immediately that project's in trouble and they're going to take longer and cost more than they said because of that mindset of all, all progress is good progress. Yeah. All progress is equally good progress. And, um, flies in the face of operation science come back to that little laws uh, that uh, there's one key equation that relates those variables together it's called little's law yep and it says cycle time equals work in process that's all that inventory divided by throughput now that's a really simple but super powerful equation and i had a really hard time getting my head around that equation because it was so counterintuitive yep it was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. all the work has to get done how could that possibly mean i take longer until I started really examining some of our performance and examining what we did to build up inventory and how that caused us to take longer to complete whatever it was, whether it's driving piles in the desert or just whatever it was, yeah. and actually see it with my own eyes. And then I started recognizing and it's like, you know, that's that works. It's real. That yeah. that's that's a real equation, just like. You know, force equals mass times acceleration or time equals distance divided by speed. We got a three variable equation that governs what we do. I got to get that thing in my head. I got to yeah. get that to, um, you know, to modify all my all my mindset. And to me, that's that's probably the biggest difference between the iron triangle view of the world and the production management view of the world. It's that idea that all progress is equal, all the work has to get done, so get it all going, it'll all get done someday. And traditional project management really, it might give some lip service too, <clears throat> but fundamentally ignores throughput, it, 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 yeah. the rate at which the work is being done. Now, and there is yeah. a little bit, you know, sometimes you see some little positive things, you know, we're getting X yards of concrete poured a day, that's good. But very little focus on that. Instead, project controls actually using earned value pull you away from focusing on the right things because you know partial credit for work is 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 a death spiral. Yep. And I that's a whole other story. But you know chasing earned value is just it's a disastrous for a project. You really don't know where you are. It incentivizes people to work on the wrong things. It incentivizes. And this is what I saw as architect mm -hmm. I run project management system. I designed a system. They created, rewarded, and encouraged starting work in process. Yes. The accumulation of work in process. We, man, we were masters of that. Yep. <laughs> and then wondered, why did our projects take so long? And why did they cost so much? Well, that's why. It was that's, just as simple as that. Yeah. No, I think it, it's funny because the, the old adage of, you know, being very good at multitasking and thinking we need to multitask and so let's start all these things and we're doing so many things at once that means we're going to get a done finisher is that counterintuitiveness to say that no like you're not starting more things you need to finish what you've started before Actually, you start, start to finish start to finish got to be the new mindset right <clears throat> and let me elaborate just a little bit more on on the, the five levers and i think the yeah. one the one that uh pings on human nature is variability yeah so on any in any project, we typically take a big project, we break it down to little chunks, right? And you give people responsibility for the chunks. I don't whether it's it doesn't matter what we're doing. We just always divide it up and into chunks of some kind and give person people responsibility for the chunks. Right. So I could have you know offsite fabrication. I got somebody responsible for that. Assembly at site got somebody responsible for that, or could be separated by the trades on a on a on a, on a uh, hospital or something like that. Well, human nature says, if I'm responsible for a chunk, then what I want to do is do that chunk as efficiently as possible, right? Yeah. yeah rightly so. That's what I'm going to be held accountable for. <clears throat> In traditional project management, 
is built on a on a belief that if you optimize a bunch of chunks together, if you optimize a bunch of chunks and you put them together, you'll have an optimized project. Yeah. And it's not true. Operation science says that can't be. Well, so what happens? Well, if I'm responsible for a chunk, so I was responsible, I was construction manager for a for a big uh, project over in um, in Richmond one time in, in a refinery. And my job was to actually, wrong project, it was a project in the Gulf Coast, sorry about that. Uh, I wanted to have full freedom to do whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. So I drove everybody crazy to give me all my stuff before we started work. I wanted all yeah. the drawings. I wanted all the material in the warehouse. I wanted all my contracts let. I wanted to work unencumbered, unimpeded, which was right to optimize construction. But what I did at what cost, direct and hidden cost? First off, I accumulated a ton of materials in a warehouse. So I had to build a warehouse. Yeah. And then I had to guard the material because the operating organization kept stealing my material to use for operational upsets. Yeah. Some of the material became obsolete because design blew past it and we found things had to change. So I had to buy new stuff. Um, and then I had to maintain it. I had to keep rotating equipment, turning. I had to, I, so I spent a ton of money to have that material there early. Um, same way with the engineering. I drove engineering to have a high degree of completion before we would start construction. All those things together created a massive amount of inventory, which means I probably took on that project probably 30% longer than we could have taken yeah. to meet the business objective, which is the number one goal, not to have efficient construction, but to meet the business objective of the overall project duration. Right. Yeah. And it's just, and that's just human nature. So variability is a part of human nature. And how we respond to that on projects is just really, really damaging. And that's why it's more than just counterintuitive or why it's so deeply counterintuitive because it also flies against our nature. Yeah, no, I think so. I think that's a great way to put it is I think we we deal with variability so much just in the world that we almost just accept it. Is, yeah. is we say that, well, you know, yes, we can't control the weather, understood, right? You know, we, we can't control, you know, natural disasters and things. Great. We, we understand that. But if we take a look at it and there's probably a lot more than we realize that we can control, because if we can put some sort of a control on, you know, the variability between, like you said, the, how quickly and when those design documents are getting to you how often the material is getting delivered to site. There's so many other things that it optimizes just on the job site with everyone else moving around that you don't always realize it. You know, is I feel like variability is one of those things that we just accept that it is. Yeah, we just pretty much just ignore. It's just stuff happens. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Stuff happens. Um, and I also love too within PPM is how, you know, you talked about a little bit before too is, being able to understand why things don't go as planned and being yep. able to look at that and analyze it and learn from it, um, which I think is a big thing for those in the lean construction community who are used to using you know, last planner system. It, it's a big thing about understanding what uh, you know <clears throat> is from the plan and learning from it, um, you know, because so much of it is the the definition of insanity right doing the same thing over and think it's going to have the same result uh, or a different result and so just harnessing and understanding that yeah okay variation is going to happen but we might as well learn from it if it's going to happen yeah. so we can try and make it you know not not happen the same way next time yeah that's right yeah awesome um so i guess kind of continuing along the lines here that, that we're talking about with you know the five levers the variation um you know for those out there who are listening and you know they're hearing this okay it's great it's new to me you know ppm is there you know is it safe enough to say that you know in the research that you know ppi has done with with all this and everything else that you're seeing a trend of projects who are following you know the fundamentals if you will of ppm versus those who aren't and you know the real benefits that it's coming to when it comes to the results um you know at the end of the project or the end of the day so to speak i think there's a, a growing trend of course yeah. 
from where I said I want there to be a growing trend, but it, but I do see I do see um, a, a recognition, a growing recognition <clears throat> that we need we need these capital investments to perform. Uh, individual companies need them to perform, and our society needs them to perform. You know, think about the infrastructure that's needed just in the United States, let alone yeah. UK and all over the world. That infrastructure serves an important, uh, vital purpose for the societies. And I think there's a, a growing recognition, hence the support for the lean movement. I think it's, it's yeah. born in the same drive to say we've got to do something better. We've got to improve. <clears throat> we've got to get more value out of the money we're spending. We just can't keep doing this. You know, on study after study after study, whether it's McKinsey or whoever, um, providing data to show that the, the performance is pretty dismal globally around yeah. capital projects. So I, I see a growing awareness that something's got to change <clears throat> um, and a growing um, interest mm -hmm. in looking under different rocks to find things, to, to find out why things aren't performing. It's kind of the journey that I took. Yeah. Um, it's a slow process. So, you know, it's a slow process because you got to be willing to set a lot of things aside. It's, there's no doubt about that the younger generation, early career folks are readily open to this and, and say, yeah, bring it on, let's do it. Versus those who are made the decision makers in many of these companies who have grown up a different way and, they, you know, it's a harder for them to get their heads around it. But I see it growing. And I see the wave out there. And, and quite frankly, I believe that companies that adopt and, and use this and take advantage of it are going to be the survivors. Yeah. I, I, we just, companies that blow the capital, <laughs> you know, they're just not going to survive, especially if there's an alternative of uh, those who learn how to do this and are highly competitive because of that. So I think I think competitive forces are going to are going to take us there and I've seen more and more and more of it all the time. I see a greater level of interest. Uh we see more companies using it and the results are there. I mean when it's used the results are there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. pulling back to my Chevron days everywhere everywhere we tried it and we adopted a learn by doing approach and we just we just started putting it out there, picked our biggest project and worked right down the list and said, well, wherever they are, let's take whatever we can of this to that project. In every project we touched, whatever we did improved the performance. And it was just it was just amazing to see. Yeah. And now now in this role in PPI, we get to see other companies and uh, other companies' success. And some are just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And it's like, that is, look at what they're doing. That's a, Look what they've done to their cycle time. They've cut it 50 percent. They've cut their costs substantially. It's like. Wow, that is a major difference. So, you know, that I, I can only hope that it continues. That That's my desire. Because yeah. um, it needs to. It's just the answer. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It definitely needs to. It definitely needs to continue. And part of the reason, obviously, I wanted to bring you on to talk more about it is get it out there. Um, if we could double back a, a little bit um, on one of the points you made earlier that I kind of wanted to touch on here that I think is was unique in some of our conversations that we had earlier on um, when it came to involving the the workers or the tradespeople in the actual development of the planning right yeah. and, and how the design of the you know the process design if you will um, and I think we had talked about is that you know in your earlier life at Chevron and more of the industrial construction, type of a realm versus more commercial that you know, that there's a lot more of involving the folks closer to the work in that design of the process itself and actually bringing their feedback in uh, versus where I think more traditionally with the more commercial construction right we, we don't generally do that um, and we were kind of talking about back and forth about how you know the differences between that can you just maybe comment a little bit on that, uh, you know, because we were talking about it a little bit. I think it's just interesting because, you know, there's obviously the movement now to get much more involvement from people closest to the work. The whole last planner system is built on the last planners, right? the, the people closest to the work. So ha has there been anything that's been, you know, come up uh, that's interesting about it or striking that kind of the differences between the two that you're seeing now? Um, and, and maybe why you feel like, you know, the commercial side of things hasn't really been 
as inclusive, you know, with, with the workers? Yeah, that's a that's a real good question. My you know my my personal experience with the commercial side is very small, as right. you can imagine. So I I'm I'm not sure I'm a good person to answer that question very well on well, why isn't it more prevalent in commercial? But I I I'd make one one observation, and that is uh, the people responsible for the work and closest to work always plan the work whether we know it or not. Yeah, yeah, they always do. Yep. We can pretend like we're planning. We can hand them things. We can give them schedules. We can have planning meetings. We can put things schedules on the wall. But it, in the the reality of it is, those superintendents, general foreman, and foreman are doing the real planning. And that's the way it has to be done. Yeah. You know, it really can't be done by somebody external to the work. So. Even though it may not be formalized in the in the buildings uh, sector, it's happening. Yeah. Now, can it be done better? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's no doubt about. Uh, you know, I I do think you need sufficient scheduling work that gets you. Um, you know, the design of your productions. A schedule is just a model, by the way. That's yeah. that's all. It's a model. What you want to have happen. I think right. you have, have a notion of what you want to have happen, okay? But then you've got to design that production system with the five levers that causes that to come about. Right. Well, I think from that point on, um, the people doing the work or responsible for doing the work, whether it's in design or making things or fabricating things or uh, constructing things, are the people you need to engage in that that near-term planning to actually plan out how they're going to get those next steps done, how they're going to execute those workflows um, within that project. And by not doing that, uh, A, you're first off, you're still, they're still doing it. Yeah. You might have other people pretending like they're doing it and you're just like totally wasting your money on it. I mean, yeah. we, we may be paying planners 200 bucks an hour and we're paying the craft, I don't know, 60 bucks an hour. And we get it loaded up with planners and, nobody's using their work it's just it's like nearly a total waste of money uh so i i challenge anybody to say you know give it a try the other way you're going to be amazed at what you see happen you know yeah. take it for a test drive you don't have to change your whole system go do an experiment try it out that's what i did and yeah. I, seeing it with my own eyes is what made it come to life yeah yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, a great piece of advice is just try it, try it out, try it, try it the other way. Because I think that it is when you see, when you see yourself do it the other way and you see the results out of it, it is eye-opening and surprising. You know, it yeah. is when you do involve the craftspeople and the people who are closest to the work, you know, when you're still in that mindset that I'm going to give you a schedule and you're going to do it. You know, and then you bring them in and you actually realize, like you said, they're planning anyways, right? Is they're looking and going, okay, great, thanks. And then they're leaving the trailer and they're going and doing what they're going to need to do. And then most of the time, they might even have their own little huddle out there in the field between their own trades just to make sure that they're all coordinated with each other, yeah. um, which I which I find to be one of the, you know, more humorous parts too, is that so many times we give them and we're like, oh, great, they agreed, they're out and they're gone. And then they have their own little powwow and, and do what they need to anyways. Um, you know, you, you you tweaked a thought, and and that's something that's really fascinating to watch. So when we go to a project before we implement production control, we yep. just attend one of the daily planning meetings. Yep. And it's really interesting. Almost, I'd say almost all the time, what you see is people sitting around like this. They're looking down. They're looking at their their notebook. They're kind of just in, they're listening. They're kind of there answer a question when they're asked uh, but it's a very low engagement kind of conversation yeah then after we implement production control go to the similar meeting you see them up walking around you see them talking with each other you see them engaged you see them talking about the work and who's going to do what and the trade-offs that happen it's just like night and, night and day it's like yeah. well duh. <laughs> yeah. and you're right that kind of stuff is happening out in the field after the meeting right Exactly. Might as well bring it in and make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, that miscommunication, that's where the, the pitfalls are. That's where we lose things. That's where you know delays yep. happen, everything like that. Um, so we talked a little bit about, we'll call it the future of what you hope, right, is that this movement continues and more and more people get on. But as our listeners are hearing this and thinking, okay, 
this is great. I want to start learning more about, you know, project production management and PPI and going in. Obviously, they can go to PPI's website and research. Um, could you give us a sense of, you know, maybe from PPI's perspective, what does the future kind of look like? Is there programs you guys are implementing? I know that, you know, there's some actual, you know, more formal education that you guys have out there now too for certifications and things. Can you kind of just give us a sense of what what does the future look like when it comes to what PPI is doing and then also kind of project production management as a whole? Sure. Let's let's start with production management because it's to me it's foundational. Yeah. And and so other swirls in the industry are the use of uh, automation, robotics, those kinds of things, the use of digital. Um, and what we're seeing is companies that are pursuing those other elements without the foundation of production management are getting disappointed mm -hmm. because, again, you're, you're – how do I say this? I, I worked with one or talked to one company that was digitizing a workflow yep. or digitizing a work process. That work process violated operation science, but they were expecting it to give them a different result. Well, making something that doesn't deliver the result because of operation science in a more easy way just makes it easier to do something that doesn't work. Yep. And a lot of digital efforts are that way. So we believe that the foundation of PPM needs to be there. That gives you the solid operation science, you've got the foundation there. Then you can bring in industrialized construction techniques. Yep. So this is bringing production thinking and the way you enhance the design to make it more buildable, all those kinds of things, design for manufacturing assembly, all those kinds of things can be more productive. Yep. You have the whole swim lane of, of autonomous, how you employ robotics, autonomous vehicles, all those kinds of things on a project and then how you use digital. And again, you're you're digitizing, you're, you've got the internet of things, you've got, um, how do I say this? Some, we, are, we are in a sea change of shifting from machines helping people, whether it's computers or whatever it is, to people helping machines. And someday yeah. we're gonna have projects where that production system is self-configured and self-managed with people yeah. intervention on the problem spots. Uh, materials will be ordered by the machine. Uh, materials will be specified out of the components, standard components. All, many, many, many of those things can be done without human hands. And that's where we're headed. But, it, if, but I don't think it'll work unless we're standing on that foundation of production management. But that's what we see next. And that's what we're advocating for, is industrialized construction, autonomous and digital, and bringing that together on that foundation. I think a really amazing things are gonna happen. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And actually, it, it's interesting you bring up the industrialized construction and everything, because I think I'm trying to think of how many months ago now it was, but you guys had your annual symposium that had a lot of presentations and talking about industrialized construction. Um, and that was great to hear all of those presentations from companies worldwide, right, about how they are taking this approach and using new technologies. But like you said, I think having that foundation of PPM. Uh, kind of solidifying it before they go and add all of the tools, if you will, on top of it. Um, yeah. I, I think it still is very, very important to have, um, you know, when it comes to people. So um, great advice there. Um, so I guess, you know, moving forward here and trying, I don't want to say wrap it up just yet, but um, yeah, it, it is. It's, we're getting close here. I don't want to keep you too, too long. I, but, you know, for folks who, let's say they want to get started with, um, project production management, what what would you kind of recommend as a, a first step or two for them to, to wet their beak, so to speak? Uh, that, that's a great, that's a great question when I, when I get all the time. And I would, just like you just said a minute ago, I encourage people come and join the PPI. And that gives you access to all the videos and, and tons of materials that we have, participation in our symposium, all those kinds. Of, there's a whole, you know, wealth of information available to you there. Um, so I, Strongly recommend that. The other one is, and you mentioned a little bit, is come and participate in our formal education. Uh, we're calling it certification, but you you don't have to do the whole thing. You can do parts of it if, if you want. And we've got two, two that have been launched. One is at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. It's really targeted at the general building sector. Um, yeah. And we've held one course already. We've got another one coming up in early March. 
and it's really around industrialized construction, how to do offsite fabrication right. You know, that's that's a big trend in the general building sector right now is taking things offsite for assembly and fabrication. And how you do that, how you decide what to take offsite, how you run an efficient job shop offsite, how you match it up with what you need at the construction site, all those things. Um, operation science can give you the know-how on how to make really good decisions around all that, how to make that work for you so you can make money at it. So we've we've um, uh, we've got that one, that will be repeated in early March and then following that we're going to have supply chain done right and then design for offsite fabrication done right. Again, there's big changes in both of those areas that need to be taken into account to have really an effective uh, offsite campaign. And then the other um, one that we've got spooled up is the first class is going to be held at Texas A&M and we're calling it reimagining project management. And that's a little more geared towards the industrial sector, but you know, obviously, a general building sector would would find it beneficial as well because the same same concepts will be taught using different examples, and that would be you know more meaningful in the industrial sector. Um, that reimagine project management is going to be followed by reimagine engineering and procurement, and reimagine construction, reimagine basically EPC. So we're trying to lay the foundation of what does this new world look like using production management in EPC. So I, I would just highly recommend uh, these, these courses are taught by world-class experts. Uh, you're really, I think you'd find it a really valuable use of your time and, and energy, and then give it a try. <laughs> Go try it, because there's nothing like learning by doing. And if PPI can be any of assistance in Go Try It, and learn by doing, you know, just drop me a note. You can, my contact information is at the website. I'll be glad to glad to engage and help. Absolutely, absolutely. I love that too. As an ending piece there, go just go do it and then learn by trying. I think it's, you know, a lot of our, our listeners do come from the lean construction community. And so I think I mentioned before, right, is they're, they're familiar with last planner system, but I think some of these more, you know, we'll say project production management, oriented ideas aside from just last planner system are new and so everyone likes to hear i think a lot of what we've talked about today where we're involving everybody in, in the process of design and, and figuring things out and planning we're trying by doing as as you just said there and i think this this can really be something foundational that makes a huge huge impact and change within the construction industry as a whole whether it's industrial whether it's commercial general building it doesn't matter um I, I completely agree with you. I think this can be a, a huge foundational shift. Um, so, well, Gary, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, and so I, I appreciate you jumping on and having a conversation with us. And hopefully the listeners are going to get a lot of good uh, nuggets of information out of this and they reach out you know, to you and PPI in general to learn more. Um, so, yeah, um, again, thank you so much for joining. And for those listening, you know, we'll listen to you next time and catch you around. So thanks, Gary. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely.